Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour for misguided medicine. Oh, I said four. That's a marital four. A marital tour for misguided medicine. That's ridiculous. That doesn't even make grammatical sense. That's not. I think you're confused. It's a marital tour of misguided medicine. That's correct. And you know, the marital part doesn't have that much to do with our show. It was just like another M. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah. Know. Well, I mean, we are married. Yeah. I think it informs the relationship we have with each other. Married. Well, and like why we um, interact like we do, don't you think? Whoa. You think people would, if we didn't clarify that we were married, people would be like, whoa, the chemistry between these two is off the charts. I'm shipping Justin and Sydney like crazy. That's what I was going to ask. Do you think people would ship us? Yeah. People if we would weren't sh- already married, like if we were just two. Their names are already the same. Their last names are already the same. It's meant to be. Well, I mean, in this in this reality, I would have I, I would have kept my maiden name Smurl. I wouldn't have changed it to McElroy on a flyer. <laughs> can I be Dirk? Can I be Dirk Strongarms then? I mean, if we're changing our thing, I would like to be Dirk Strongarms, Justin, attorney at law. You know, I've always believed that you can be anything Thank that you, you want. Uh, but this is this is the original Salva, so we've been married since the beginning. Of and time. You have brought Olive, the cat, into I here. I did. I brought the kitty. She was standing at the top of the stairs and crying because she missed us. So mm-hmm. I brought her down to the basement with us to record. So now if you hear her begging to leave the room here in a second, you'll know what's going she on. She won't. She'll climb up. Sometimes she sits on my shoulder like a parrot. She's precious. Okay, so th- none of this has anything to do with medicine, Sydney. No, Justin, we've gotten um, – I-, I was going to thank the listeners. It, you just – so many of you sent it in. There's too many to thank now who sent in this topic suggestion. Justin, there's a show on called Sandman. Yes, I know. It's based on the Neil Gaiman graphic novel series. Yes. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I've read the first volume of The Omnibus. You know it's a good graphic novel if there's an omnibus. If you see mm. omnibus, that's good stuff right there, or good good stuffies. Does yours have an omnibus? Um, of graphic. Now, um, we have, we have <laughs> a uh, recently discontinued box set. Of the first three <laughs> books, so no omnibus yet. But boy, when we get that omnibus, that money's gonna come rolling in. That'll be the real heyday in my mid fifties when all the Taz graphic novels are out. A lot of our listeners are watching this show mm-hmm. because I there was a medical condition referenced on the show, and so this is where this this episode comes from. I got many suggestions that we should look into a sleeping sickness. That is mentioned on Sandman. And when okay. I say that, I know immediately you're going to think, like, 
sleeping sickness as an African sleeping sickness is sometimes how it's referred because mm-hmm. of the fact that it is endemic to parts of the continent Africa. Specifically, it is called Trypanosoma brucei, and it is transmitted by the tsetse fly. And I think, and I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I think that we have, have we talked about that before? I've, I don't uh, remember. Maybe. I don't know. I'll have to double check. This is not what we're talking about. That is probably okay. the sleeping sickness you're most familiar with if you hear that like colloquial term. That's something else. This is a sleeping sickness, not the sleeping sickness. It is a sickness that makes people sleep. And the one that they are referencing in Sandman is something called encephalitis lethargica. Okay. Which is different. And what they, is it? Uh, it's one of the biggest mysteries in medical history. Ooh, how did it just take us this long to get here? I don't know. It's a good question. I have, I have like encountered little bits and pieces about encephalitis lethargica many times in my various researches, and I don't know why I never like, like skip to that one. Now, you know, like Sometimes jump skip it's just to like that something one. Something seems hard, so you don't deal with it. You just don't. <laughs> you just decide not to engage with it. I I do that sometimes. Yeah. Well, I. Yeah, I guess that's true. Sometimes if I know it's going to take more time and I don't have that much time. Um, Encephalitis lethargica, as you may imagine, um, the lethargica part of it is referencing the severe lethargy or sleepiness that it causes. Correct. Encephalitis is inflammation of the brain. Okay. Okay. Itises or inflammation is... This is... What? Say again? Sorry. Itis is inflammation is the sentence that I was attempting. Okay. I'm sorry. I am on hospital service. (laughs) My brain is lethargic, not medically. When you say lethargic to a doctor, that's a that means something very scary. I just mean that I'm tired. Got it. Okay. Not not medically lethargic. (laughs) Not clinically. You're regular. You're you're colloquially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still at the top of your game. Sydney exhausted is still better. Uh, than 90% of the doctors out there. So. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm not at work right now. I'm at home in case anyone's worried about how tired I am. Were you under the assumption that... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking you, about you how I'm, I'm, I'm on hospital service and I'm really tired. You're like, oh, man, that it, sounds dangerous, it sounds like your I'm bones are in really bad shape. <laughs> I need like 35 minutes and then I'll be right back with you. <laughs> I got a cast, baby. <laughs> Just keep breathing. Keep breathing. <laughs> Those mattresses ain't going to sell themselves. It's... <laughs> So it's 1916. You are Dr. Constantine von Economo. Okay. Economo. I have in my possession von one rapier, five <laughs> rations, and a mysterious scrap of paper that says, follow the chimneys. Follow the chimneys? I know. It's evocative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You want to know more? You're hooked. Oh, yeah. I thought it had a, maybe a Mary Poppins tie I got, I've been working like on the other. new Taz arc, so now I'm like, I'm mm. like a master world builder. So I've just constructed this fiction. You're working at the Psychiatric Neurological Clinic of the University of Vienna. Okay. So this is where you are. Um, and by the way, it, because you're Dr. Economo, you come from a very wealthy Romanian family, so you are you also get to be a baron in this, in this story. Baron von Economo. Oh, my. Yes. Um, but he prefers doctor. Please. Of course. Doctor. Please. Uh, now, Dr. von Economo, Dr. Economo, Dr. von Economo. Dr. von Economo. Dr. von Economo. Uh, he starts noticing patients coming in with a strange new constellation of symptoms. Okay. Uh, these patients have all been admitted under other diagnoses, right? Because mm-hmm. you, people probably said, well, this looks most like this. Right. Even though it didn't look exactly like meningitis. It looks kind of like meningitis, so we'll call it that. Or it looks 
kind of like MS or it's kind of like delirium. So they were calling it, all these different patients had been diagnosed with something different, even though maybe their symptoms weren't perfect for whatever that diagnosis was. Um, But they have, but they all have some things in common. He starts to notice they have some strange neurological symptoms like irregular eye movements. Their eyes will sometimes get locked in positions Hmm. and unable to move. Okay. um, Like in an upward gaze. Weird. And they can't move them. Um, Or they have weird twitches suddenly or what are called choreoform movements, which are like sort of uncontrolled dance-like movements. Choreo. Yeah. Form. Mm -hmm. The form of dance. Like dance-like movements. Those are most usually associated with Huntington's disease Mm. is where you see this sort of neurological symptom. Um, So they have a variety of these these sort of neurological symptoms. Sometimes they, they seem to just sit in almost like a catatonic state. They just sit. And they stare, and they don't speak. Um, they they tend to be very sleepy. All of them seem to be completely exhausted. Uh, spend lots of time sleeping, um, except the few who seem kind of the opposite, like hyperkinetic and almost manic, and can't stop moving and not themselves. They have psychiatric manifestations. Um, you start as he starts talking to these patients. All of them had symptoms that sound a little like the flu at first. Mm. They had fevers. They had sore throats. Some of them had headaches or nausea. So like something that they may have just written off as, you know, we were we were beginning to understand no, infections yeah. at this point in history. So like I caught something. I got sick. What can you do? You would assume you'd get better. Yeah. Uh, but then it shifted into something very different. So Von Economo began talking to other doctors at other hospitals in the area and discovering that they were also seeing cases like this. Hmm. And nobody quite knew what to make of it at Stuff first. Stuff they hadn't seen before. Stuff that, yes, that, n- that did not fit any other diagnoses. It had, it had aspects of different diagnoses, but as you were like, you, you didn't want to label it one of those okay. things because you couldn't feel certain. As, and, and then as they started looking back, they noticed, Von Economo started noticing that there have been cases at these random hospitals since like 1915. Mm. So for a little while now, this had been reported. Not a new thing then. But it seemed to be more prominent now. Okay. Like there were lots more of them. So something had caused these case numbers to erupt of whatever Mm. this thing is that is still unnamed. So after he kind of collects all this information from all these other doctors and all these cases and all of these sort of reports on these patients in 1917 he publishes an account of the cases and a definition of the condition um, and he calls it encephalitis lethargica it's sequelae and treatment hmm. so What's he's sequelae mean? Um, all of the stuff that can happen because of it okay like all of the clinical manifestations and complications and um, long term effects and everything that happens to a human when they gotcha. have it Anyway, he would he would call it encephalitis lethargical because it seemed to be some sort of inflammatory process of the brain, and then also people were very tired. And uh, even though he called it that, a lot of people started referring to it as von Economo's disease, mm. which is don't love that one. Well, what's weird is I think it's catchier von Economo's disease. Von Economo, but it didn't catch on because I don't. I mean, most people. If they talk, you know how everybody's talking about encephalitis lethargica all the time, mm-hmm. and they call it that, yeah, all the time. Yeah, everybody's talking about it. All the like time. everybody's always talking about it. it they don't shut up. Oh. Like every party I go to, that's all that anyone is talking about. And by anyone, I mean I'm telling people about it, and they about it. 
They're like, dude, why haven't you done an episode on this? And you're like, I'm scared. I was scared <laughs> to do it. It seemed hard, so I didn't do it. I don't. Uh, it's character. So again, as he writes down sort of this account of it, you kind of get like a definition, right? So if you're going to find <laughs> a new condition, if you're going to declare that you have discovered a new medical condition, mm-hmm. you have to create a definition of it. Okay. Like, what is it then? What oh. what sort of things have to be present to say this is what it is? Yeah. We do this with COVID, right? Right. Like. People got the coronavirus. How did we know they had COVID-19? What were the constellation of symptoms? How did we test for it? How do we define it? How do we say, like, you have COVID? Isn't it weird? Remember when there was a lot of symptoms popping up early on? It's like, here's one thing we know about it for sure. And it's like, no. two weeks later, it's like, we were wrong about that. There was the gas leak. And we were so very sorry. We and, messed up. Yeah. And can I tell you, by the way, how many how many patients now I'm caring for that have um, gastrointestinal symptoms that, like— that's the prominent feature. It's really? very strange. Hmm. It, it also is evolving. Yeah, multiple, multiple. Um, COVID's still out there, folks. Hey, this is not a, a reminder. Not a joke. Take it from a doctor working in a hospital. Just be smart. Um, so please get vaccinated. Encephalitis lethargica, he, he lays it down as characterized by first this sort of prodrome of fever and headache and sometimes double vision and you feel tired, but like it, it seems more like a viral kind of illness, like the okay. flu or whatever, something like that. Um, and then it progresses to a couple different sort of, there's, there's a couple different ways it can progress, okay. but you get a variety of symptoms like we talked about either. Um, you're sleepy all the time. You can have um, that sort of comatose state that we talked about or catatonic state. You can have an oculogeric crisis, which is when your eyes move in positions and you can't move them back, like you can't control your eyes. Um, And even can progress to this like Parkinsonism uh, kind of picture eventually. Um, One particular interesting thing uh, is clazomania is a symptom that was associated with it, which is um, compulsive shouting. Oh, Interesting. That was something that people could could have. Huh. Um, yeah, it can be sort of like uh, ticks you can see in different tick disorders, like tick T I C T I C. Okay. Um, like people yelling, like like coprolalia, referring to yelling like bad things. Oh, inappropriate things. Swears. Using say not yelling necessarily, but saying inappropriate things. Curses. Uncontrollable in it, or or like yeah. Gotcha sexual, whatever, oh, those okay. kinds of things. Things that you don't mean to say, but you can't stop it, and then you say it. Clasomania is, is like, um, you can't you can't modulate the volume of your voice. <laughs> like that character like that great Will character. <laughs> the guy who can't modulate the volume of his voice. So it's like compulsive yelling. Okay. Um, so, so he writes about this. It's in Vienna. He's seen it around this area, but it's about to go global. You just like, we know illnesses do now. They love it. They like to engulf the whole planet. Um, and and just like another illness in 1917 that we have talked about on the show many times recently, uh, the influenza pandemic, um, the mis- misnamed Spanish flu, Not, but that is how you may have heard it. It was not, let's not blame Spain. Not Spain's fault. Nope. Uh, but just like it would do soon, encephalitis lethargica was about to be carried, whatever it was, by... The presence of World War One. So as soldiers crisscrossed the globe and people were displaced and moved. Much like the Band-Aid or the Hershey bar before it, its prevalence throughout the World War uh, made it a household item that everybody had to have. Well, I mean, in this case, 
a illness that some people got. But, you know, the metaphor still stands. Yes, exactly. Um, and the, and the, again, with World War uh, One, we saw the exact same thing happen with influenza. I'm not sure about the Hershey bar thing. It sounded true when I said it. Go on. You said that. You've said that before, the chocolate bars. I feel like I saw it on a f- episode of Foods That Built America, but I don't remember if that was the exact bar. This is not a food podcast. Uh, I can lie about food podcast. all day, folks. Um, <laughs> this isn't Doughboys. I can't be held accountable for my food takes. Uh, so anyway, because of World War One, you started to see, just like the flu pandemic would spread, you started to see cases of encephalitis lethargica popping up all over the globe. So it started maybe in these parts of Europe, but it soon spread to all parts of Asia and Africa and North America and Central America and South America. It was everywhere. Everywhere they were seeing cases. And I will say that it's hard to say an exact number because, I mean, one, you have to imagine it wasn't as easy to aggregate all this information. Sure. We're, we're talking the about... the got it over, it's outdated. Yes. And and we're we're talking about... A time period where not only would it have been difficult to aggregate it, we're also in the middle of a war. Right. So people weren't necessarily interested in collaborating <laughs> with their information. Um, but it, So it's hard to know how many cases there were. And it's also hard because, the, as you can tell from these symptoms, I'm telling you, it can be kind of vague and the presentations were varying. Mm-hmm. And so who actually had it and who was just diagnosed with it incorrectly, it's really difficult to say. Um but it is estimated that between the years 1915 and 1926, a million or so people got it. Wow. Maybe more, maybe less. It's hard to say. There was one study that sort of estimated at 500,000, but it was a study just done in, like, North America to just estimate certain— Anyway, so—and we missed a ton of it. We Like, there was probably a ton that was never diagnosed. So it's probably more than a million. Or maybe Unless less. we were misdiagnosing people, and then it would be uh, less. Less. So it— so just to recap, it was either very, very many, a normal amount, or much less than that, and we don't know. <laughs> so with that great display of mathematic <laughs> prowess, uh, let's go to the billing department. As we say every time at this segment, I'm going to run upstairs and flip the spaghetti squash. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals I can say are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code sawbones 50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones 50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This week, the greatest discovery becomes Greatest Trek. That's because Greatest Trek is for way more than just discovery. We're the hit show on Maximum Fun that covers all the new Star Trek shows. Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard, Prodigy, Discovery, and any other Star Trek show Paramount throws at us. Come check it out for our funny and formative recaps of all the new stuff this Star Trek industrial complex churns out. It's in your podcatcher every Tuesday. Subscribe to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. Hey there, it's Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Laura House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. We can't change this big dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! Okay, the spaghetti squash has been flipped. I'm safely back. Uh, it's looking great. Okay. So as I said, um, somewhere around a million people worldwide got it. Um, it was diagnosed uh, more in some countries than others. Probably just awareness was mm-hmm. a big part of it. And then there was also, um, like, they made a lot more diagnoses in urban areas than rural areas. But, like, we're, it's hard to say why. You know, what, like, was that being missed or mm-hmm. whatever? Um, it tended to affect people between the ages of 10 and 30, although there were people slightly younger, slightly older than that. Mm-hmm. That seemed to be the brunt of who it affected. Um, at time, Initially, they didn't think it was a contagious disease. Why? Well, because they would have a presentation of just a single member of a household. 
Mm. Like just one member of a family would come in with it, Why and the rest that? of the family was well. Why? Well, I don't know. What I'm, the heck? I'm telling you, it's still one of history's greatest mysteries. Oh, this is going to be unsatisfying. Okay, go so, ahead. Did, did you like, is this like Jack the Ripper finally solved, case closed, where you're like finally going to tell me mm, everybody what happened? I mean, I have theories. Okay, go on. You've got a theory. <laughs> so at times, like, so at times, like just. You know, they'd bring in one kid who had it or just one parent or whatever, like mm-hmm. the one person family. But then uh, there was this one outbreak in Derby where there was this home for girls where out of 21 people, 12 of them got sick oh my gosh. within this one girl's home and six of them actually died from it. So then it really seemed like, well, I mean, this has got to be transmitted person to person. Like, how would you have a density of illness of that, like this? Yeah. If it wasn't. And so it was really unclear, like, is this something people are catching or is it something that everybody's catching, but only some people are reacting to? Maybe it's environmental in some way because you have all these people. In um, one, yes. It, so it was very difficult. Um, the forms that people could have, because there were slightly different sort of like classifications, what kind of form you have. And, and you could progress from one to the other. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, some had what was called the somnolent ophthalmoplegic form, which was the most deadly by mm-hmm. like half of people mm-hmm. who got this form probably passed away. Um, <sighs> others had more of, and that, and that, you know, somnolent, obviously you're sleeping all the time and mm-hmm. your eyes are uncontrolled. You can't control your eyes. Others had more of like a hyperkinetic form where they had all of these strange uncontrollable movements and mm-hmm. this, um, manic behavior. And they would have like all these psychiatric manifestations, psychosis was common, hallucinations and that kind of thing. Um, and then some had this, uh, amniotic akinetic form, which basically means they were kind of rigid had what we call like a waxy flexibility, meaning you could move their arm into a position. It was movable, like a wa- like wax, but then it, they would hold it there. That's weird. So you could raise their arm up and it well, would that'd stay. That would be so disconcerting, I bet. And they had like a masked face kind of appearance. The, the third form is somewhat similar to Parkinson's, not identical, but somewhat similar to Parkinson's. Um, and many of them did progress to what looked like Parkinson's disease. But it wasn't. Um, No, it's different than Parkinson's. It was a, I mean, it it is a clinical syndrome that you could call Parkinson's-like, but it is a post-encephalitic Parkinson's, right? Like it is as opposed to primary Parkinson's disease that people have genetically. This was as a result of this encephalitis that you got you have a you you appear to have a Parkinson's like condition. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Um I, I mean I guess it's semantics, but still. But it's not it is not I don't want to give the impression that encephalitis lethargica is linked to every person who has Parkinson's disease. Mm. Just some similarities. Yes. Okay. Uh so on top of that, some progress and it's to the that. Same, it's the same germ. No, no, no. Parkinson's disease is not a germ. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um don't do that to me. Okay. Uh, so anyway, the, so there was this Parkinson's like phase that some would progress to that would happen like months or even years later sometimes. Wow. Like past you recovering from all your symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was sort of like at the end of the day, if you take all the cases together, it was like a third, a third. At the end of the day, take all the cases together. So you could say for the life of the poor. Sorry. I wasn't like, ready for that. Little, I, I know. Sorry. No, that was great. You can't say at what the end of the surprise. day and not expect me to leap into late miss. Come on. <laughs> um, when they looked at everything, it was like for that. <laughs> it was like a third, a third, a third. Okay. Uh, a third of patients uh, actually succumb to encephalitis lethargica. A third of them seemed to get better. 
and be fine. And a third of them progressed to these cro- this chronic sort of form and had long-term sequela, manifestations, side effects, complications. Hey, weird side note. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with anything. Do you know why they call weed chronic? No. Me neither. Wouldn't that have been interesting if I'd known? <laughs> I just feel— I was That was thinking, just a wild thing to throw out there. I was just sitting here wondering. You said the word chronic. I was wondering, like, why do they call weed chronic? And I was like, I should ask Sydney. I bet she knows. She's a doctor. But you're not a weed— Ologist, so not you wouldn't a necessarily know. I don't even. I don't even have a prescribing card. Um, so uh, the people who did progress these symptoms would have some of the eye symptoms chronically. Some of the other neurological symptoms would stay chronically. Um, there's also, again, a lot of psychiatric manifestations associated with the chronic uh, encephalitis lethargica. The changes in mood. Um, some people would have like feelings of euphoria with like increased sex drive. And I liked this symptom, excessive puns. Oh, yeah. And silliness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but because of all of these neurologic and psychiatric and considering the time period we were in, a lot of people with the chronic form ended up institutionalized for many years as a result um, because they were not necessarily able to care for themselves or because at the time having those sort of conditions, you, that's what a lot of people did is institutionalized family members who had mm-hmm. psychiatric conditions or just neurological conditions like epilepsy you could have been institutionalized for. So um, so a lot of people ended up institutionalized, unfortunately. Uh, and this was there's a book by Dr. Oliver Sacks called Awakenings. It was written in 1973. That's the account of some of these people who were still living in these institutions with this chronic encephalitis mm. lethargica. Is there a movie? This is also a movie in okay. 1990 yeah, with De Niro so. and Robin Williams. Wow, yeah. So, um, and was the, he Sacks? Huh? Was it based on that? Was he Sacks? Was it based on them? Yes. Yeah, it was Dr. Oliver Sacks who wrote the book Awakenings, and this the movie was based on that book. Mm. About like these these people who had been living there for huh. years, try, with this condition that nobody ever figured out what it was, um, and um, the people who succumbed to encephalitis lethargica. By the way, in case you're curious, how how do you pass away from it? It was usually because of the neurological symptoms. Mm-hmm. Your respiratory drive would fail, hmm. respiratory failure. Which, again, like some people immediately saw a lot of uh, similarities uh, as the years went on. I shouldn't say immediately. As the years went on, saw a lot of similarities to polio with some of this. You know, people going into respiratory failure, iron lung, all of that stuff. That was a question that would come up later. What a weird weird constellation of, of different effects. That's so wild. And it was a really, like... And I will say, because of this, to to sort of finish the story about Dr. Sachs, that piece of it, because of the similarity to Parkinson's, and Dr. Sachs was treating these patients many years later, in the 60s, a drug came out called L-DOPA, which we use to treat Parkinson's disease. We have many other drugs now, but that was the first one. Um, And he sort of experimentally gave this to some of these patients because since the symptoms were so similar, Mm -hmm. maybe this would help. And it did seem to help. I think accounts of how much it helped were a little more optimistic than maybe the reality. Okay. I don't think yeah. everyone was was. I, I don't think anybody was necessarily cured by it. I do think it seemed to improve some patients. I don't mm-hmm. know how much, and I don't know for how long, but it did give this sort of impression. Like, is there a link here? Um, and I should say a lot of what they know about how affected how it affected the brain and why we know it was an encephalitis. Mm-hmm. If you look at the time period when this pandemic happened 
we were able to do like autopsies and look at the brain tissue and that kind of thing um, as these patients later on passed away. And mm. so they were able to look at the tissue and see like what areas were inflamed and know sort of what what was going on. Okay. Right. I mean, they actually did that to look at the brain, but they weren't able to isolate a cause. Just because you see a pattern of inflammation in the brain doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily, it can give you clues as to what caused it, but it doesn't necessarily tell you definitively unless you find it there. Mm -hmm. Like if you find the virus. So um, this pandemic was relatively short lived, right? In the big picture. And it was largely restricted to just this one period in history. There have been uh, outbreaks of things and case reports of things other times that we've retroactively gone back and tried to say like, well, like for instance, in um, 1580, there was this uh, fever and sleepy kind of illness that hit a lot of Europe. Was that it? Um, there was another one in London in, the, in 1673 to 1675. Um, there were like these isolated accounts that occurred here and there. There was a sleep sickness in Germany from 1712 to 1713. Um, there was something in Italy between 1889 and 1890 that they called Nona, which again was this somnolent kind of illness with Parkinson's-like symptoms later on. So there are all these sort of like things, but it's so hard to go back. And what you're really just reading are accounts, right? Like you're right. not looking at patients, you're not taking histories, you're not doing exams, you're not even looking at bodies. You're you're just going back and reading historical accounts of an illness and trying to see if it fits this modern but, account. And but, th there's lots of flaws uh, in that. But it's been 90, well, 100 years since this happened. Have we been seeing more cases since? So there have been a couple isolated, like maybe similar incidents since then, but no, no outbreaks, certainly. And even the cases by modern standards that we thought maybe are encephalitis lethargica don't exactly fit these older case definitions. Is it So it's hard to say that we've seen it again. Uh, we know the tools of the time were crude compared to what we have today. Is there a possibility that they're just like misdiagnosing two different things or misdiagnosing something that we are familiar with today? Absolutely. Or? Well, I, I think that it is it is 100% certain that some of the patients that were diagnosed with this had something that we would have been able to recognize today. Mm -hmm. I think that's 100% certain. Um, our diagnostic techniques are so much more advanced. And I mean, we discover new illnesses all the time. We're able to catalog things better. But they're curing lots of people every day. <laughs> that's a reference to the room for all of you room fans out there. Um, thank you, Tommy Wiseau. I know you're a listener. Yeah, he's always a fan. Um, but, <laughs> but I, so definitely, definitely there were people tossed into this basket who did not have it. I think that that is beyond a doubt true. Um, but I think there was enough of something going on that there is also something that was missed, right? Weird. Like there definitely was something that happened to some of these people that caused some of these symptoms. And maybe, by, maybe if it happened again, we would be able to isolate it. Um, the theories. Well, here's hoping it happens again. I mean, that would be. <laughs> well, I hope not. But the theories, by the way, um, because of its temporal relationship to the influenza pandemic, and because a lot of people who had encephalitis lethargica were like tested later to see if they had had the flu, and they did. Um, there was this thought: like, is it a post-influenza thing? You know, we've seen that COVID can do many things. 
could this, could that strain of influenza that year have caused these sort of long-term neurological or like some sort of autoimmune reaction Mm -hmm. after you got over the flu? Could that have happened? Um, But the problem with that is that one, not everybody who had it ever had the flu. And two, so many people had the flu that statistically it's hard to say, you know what I mean? Like finding that relationship. It's like, well, I mean, it's like right now, frankly, everybody's getting COVID. I mean, unfortunately. And so it would be hard to connect it to anything right now because it's so prominent. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, So it's hard to say that it had anything to do with the flu. There have been studies done in the 2000s, actually, a lot of people looking back to try to isolate from like uh, tissue and things like that to try to Mm -hmm. find something, um, to try to link it with different etiologies. There was some recent research that suggested maybe a polio-like virus, like an Mm -hmm. enterovirus in that family. That was found um, in many of the cases, Mm -hmm. but it's still not certain. We think it's something contagious, something infectious. That seems most likely. Something viral seems most likely. Um, Some sort of post-viral reaction autoimmune thing seems very likely but, but what it was for sure and will it happen again we don't know well i think we can be certain of one thing after hearing all this that um snoop misheard the term hydroponic and just shortened he thought it was hydrochronic and then just shortened it to <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for us here at Sawbones. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to the Max Fun Network, and thanks to you for listening. That's going to do it for us for this week. Till next time, my name is Justin McRoy. I'm Sydney McRoy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.